You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Wednesday, the 22nd of March. Each weekday morning on Peter Lewis's Money Talk, I have the latest business and finance stories for you that affect the Asia Pacific region. In today's headlines, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said yesterday that the Treasury is ready to offer more official support for US banks in a speech that talked up the importance of mid-sized banks in particular. President Xi Jinping was in Moscow yesterday for a second day of talks with President Putin at the Kremlin. President Xi has invited the Russian leader to visit Beijing sometime this year for a return visit. And President Xi described Beijing and Moscow as great neighbouring powers and comprehensive strategic partners. And while President Xi is visiting Moscow, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida arrived in Ukraine on a surprise trip. He held summit talks with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky and he's the first leader of Japan to visit a country in conflict since World War II. Stress in the global financial system, as well as cash hoarding by banks, has sent overnight borrowing costs in Hong Kong surging by the most in 17 years. The overnight Hong Kong Interbank offered rate, HIBOR, surged 253 basis points to 4.14% on Tuesday. That's the biggest gain since data was first compiled in 2006. On today's programme, I'm joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments. With a view from Japan is Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA Tokyo. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street Tuesday, US shares surged, led by regional banks, after Janet Yellen said the government stood ready to provide further support for smaller lenders if needed. The S&P 500 jumped 1.3% to end the day at 4,003 in its first close above the 4,000 threshold since March the 6th. The Dow gained 316 points or 1% to close at 32,561. The Nasdaq Composite added 1.6% to close at 11,860. Shares of First Republic and other regional US banks rallied on Tuesday after Ms. Yellen said the situation is stabilizing and the US banking system remains sound. The KBW Regional Bank Index surged 4.8%, its biggest gain in over two years. Shares of First Republic, which have fallen about at 87% this month, rose more than 29%, leading a broader rally in US lenders. US Bank Core surged almost 9%, KeyCore jumped over 9%, and Zions rose 7%. Asia-Pacific markets rose on Tuesday, supporting sentiment during the Asian session was a rebound in additional Tier 1 bonds sold by banks in the Asia-Pacific region. Hong Kong shares rebounded from a three-month low Tuesday. The Hang Seng Index rose 258 points, or 1.4%, to 19,259. The Hang Seng Tech Index saw a 2.5% gain. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was up 0.6% at 3,256. Shares of HSBC, which tumbled over 6% Monday, rebounded by almost 3%. Standard Chartered recovered 2.3% from its Monday losses of 7.3%. And futures markets are pointing to further gains for the Hang Seng at the open this morning of about 130 points. 
US government debt sold off as yields leapt higher. A day before the Federal Reserve's decision on interest rates, the yield on the policy-sensitive two-year Treasury climbed 26 basis points to 4.1%. And that's the ninth session in a row that two-year yields have moved more than 20 basis points in a single day. It's the highest level of bond market volatility on record outside of the 2008 financial crisis. Elsewhere in the markets, the US dollar was slightly weaker and Brent crude oil rallied 2% on Tuesday as risk appetite improved while banking fears eased. And you can get more details on the latest market movements on my daily blog at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And it's time to welcome our guests we have with us this morning, wealth investment strategist Enzio von Farr. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And also with us is John Schofield, who's Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning to you, John. Hello. Good morning, Peter. Now, as you heard there, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said Tuesday that the Treasury is ready to offer more official support for US banks in a speech that talked up the importance of mid-sized banks. She was speaking to the American Bankers Association and she defended as necessary the steps taken to support Silicon Valley Bank after its collapse earlier this month, following a massive run by its depositors. And she said similar actions could be warranted if smaller institutions suffer deposit runs that pose the risk of contagion. She said the steps we were taking are not focused on aiding specific banks or classes of banks. And she said our intervention was necessary to protect the broader U.S. banking system. Um, Enzio, is there something fundamentally wrong with the U.S. banking system? Surely a healthy and strong banking system shouldn't need all this government support. Well, there are two things wrong. It's all about greed and money. The first point being that the bankers at, 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 at these various unregulated banks, the, the ones that, not the big eight, but the ones that are below the big eight, are not really regulated as, as, as in such a disciplined manner. So they can get away with much more than the big regulated banks that were very strongly regulated as of 2008. And the second point being the greed bit, that it's just greed will always be there. This time, of course, it was that you had the 2008 was that you had the derivatives market, the, these these bank mortgage rates, these bank mortgages that, that had been spread all over the world by derivatives. And then they of poorly capitalized banks. Um, John, what, what do you think? Have, have bankers here done something fundamentally wrong? India was talking about a lax regulatory environment. What in particular have bankers done wrong then that caused this? Yeah, I mean, we get this uh, every 10 years or so. This cycle is <laughs> repeats itself over and over again. Um, you remember things like the, sa the savings and loans crisis, um, I think that was the late 80s and then uh, nine, late 90s and um, we had the uh, Asian banking crisis and so on. So um, it beggars belief really that um, uh, supposedly uh, sensible bankers uh, are once again been borrowing, uh, borrowing short and lending long yeah. at uh, minuscule interest rates, um, taking advantage of the, of, the, of the bond market bubble created by the Fed. Mm. Um, and um, it's as simple as that. Uh, on the broader question of uh, regulation, um, you remember in 2008 we had too big to fail, so all the big banks have been, you know, the regulation system has been sorted out. As mentioned, I, we don't hear anything about the savings and loans uh, these days. I imagine that, um, that that situation is also stable. So we've got, you know, the, the, they've neglected to 
uh, regulate properly the, these mid, mid-sized regional banks. Um, and now that's going to be addressed. So I suppose you could say that, that um, you know, that's, that, that's uh, what needs to be done. And Janet Yellen is talking about extending uh, this scheme that, that, in effect, bailed out depositors at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank to basically cover all banks. Now, is that the right thing to do? Doesn't that just increase moral hazard? Because then what is the incentive, first of all, to people yeah. care about where they put their money? And secondly, what's the incentive for the banks to care yeah. about what they do with your money? Well, I think the important thing is what happens to, you know, shareholders, really. Um, this is a man- man- problem of management at the, the banks and, and shareholders, sadly. I think in Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon uh, yeah, Valley lost all their, 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 their money. The shares are worthless. So that's uh, as it should be. Um, yeah, I, 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 think it, I think it's the right thing to say. You have to sort of, sort of say that to, to, to stop a panic and stop contagion because individual depositors um, have no, no, no ability to, to uh, assess the risk of a, a particular bank. What we don't know is the what's going on backstage with the lobbyists in in Capitol Hill, and it just seems to me as if there's going to be a lot of tug of war game playing going on there between how these smaller banks are regulated and what the lobbying groups say, especially in the run up to that presidential election, the fifth of November two thousand and twenty-four. The um. The Treasury is talking about um, extending this loan to all deposits. How do, how do they afford that? I mean, the FDIC, which guarantees bank deposits, has about $125 billion on its banking she- uh, balance sheet. It has about a $100 billion line of credit. But the US banking system is about $22 trillion. So the FDIC assets only cover about one and a quarter percent of deposits. Surely... There is no way, is there, that they can afford um, to, to guarantee the deposits of more than two or three banks at any one time. Um, yes, I, I understand there's going to be some sort of special levy or tax on, on the whole <laughs> banking system. It'll have to be a big to, one. <laughs> to top up <laughs> the insurance, but um, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, again, the Fed pay, plays a role in this. Um, I've been watching closely the, the evolution of the Fed's uh, the, you know, the balance sheet. Of the Federal Reserve, and it's been coming down until last week. Uh, it's coming down steadily by the by the prescribed amount from uh, QT or reversal of QE, and the and the uh, allowing the the their holdings of tre- treasuries to to uh, to run off to mature. And um, but suddenly last week, it, it the balance sheet ticked up again. But it's not because of the QT; it's because of this new um, liquidity facility that's been. Uh, being created to to finance um, um, the banks, the banks that appear to be having liquidity issues. So that was, um, you know, uh, I can't remember, it was 30, 40, 50 billion mm. and so on. So you might see more of that, might, might see more of it coming onto the Fed's balance sheet or back onto the Fed balance sheet. Mm. You, these you, are all non-sticky band-aids. Mm. In, the, in what sense? In that they're not really solving the fundamental problem? They're not solving the fundamental problem of really regulating the small, the shadow banks in America. And until that is attacked, we're going to see this cycle happen time and time again. And we haven't even talked about regulation of the crypto markets yet. Mm. 
Well, that's another topic in itself, isn't yeah, it? You, you think there's some more, there's some problems there lurking? I think I, I'm, I, I don't want to be an expert on it because I don't know anything about it. It's just too arcane, but I'm sure that there, this, this whole FTX thing was just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. Now, John, you mentioned that uh, shareholders got wiped out in Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. Of course, that didn't quite happen for the case of Credit Suisse. We're, we're in the sort of the rather bizarre position where certain bondholders got wiped out, but shareholders yeah. um, get three and a quarter billion dollars. Um, I can't remember what the market value of Credit Suisse was before. Um, I suspect that's a pretty token amount. Um but yes, I mean. But why are they getting anything, even? You know, um, politics, politics? Based, um, right? To make the deal work, you know, you have to kind of. Um, and the Saudi, the Saudis can't be very happy. Um, they're ten percent shareholding of Credit Suisse. Um, and and people are not happy out here. Completely with. Because the, the people out here are not happy because private banks have sold quite a lot of these yes, bonds yes. to sort of wealthy investors in Asia. Yes. Uh, well, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, let's move on to the Fed. The Fed is going to conclude its meeting um, today. Futures markets are pointing to about a 90% chance of a 25 basis point rate hike, um, maybe 10% chance of nothing um, at all. What do you think? Should the Fed carry on raising rates in this environment? Um, I think, yes, yeah, they should stay the course. I mean, it's been working. I mean, you know, since they finally had this um, Damascene conversion that, that uh, they had to get inflation back under control, it's starting to work. So why why stop now? They plotted a, a clear course. So we were going to go to 5 or 5.25 um, federal funds rate and then C. Um, and I, they should just continue with that. I mean, we've seen, uh, I say it is working really. Um, we've seen bubble after bubble Burst, but without any major impact on the uh, on the on the the economy, the real economy. Uh, as you know, we still have strong employment in the in the U.S. and um, and no sign of this recession. And maybe the recession is going to come later in the year. But um, there's no reason to um, to take their foot off off, yes. off the pedal right now. Um, Particularly, as it would send entirely the wrong signals. Okay, the bankers have screwed up again. Um, we're going to let them off the hook. Um, no, so no. I think um, I think they should just yeah keep keep on the same course. Um, we've had a lot of noise, you know, on and off. Um, every time something something happens, uh, you know, the, the usual suspects jump up and down, and say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you've got to you've got to you've got to pause. You've got to start cutting rates, otherwise we're going to have a massive. Uh, recession, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they've been proved wrong time and time again. So there's a lot of noise around around this, but the, actu the actual direction of the Fed has been very, very clear and very steady for for now since um, middle of last year. I think what's happening is that the traders are betting that the rates will start will peak this year and start getting cut. The analysts think they will continue going up. I continue maintaining they will go up to about six percent on the Fed funds rate. Um, but I find this dichotomy very interesting in the market. I don't know whether the traders might just be building a, a big short position because they know that it won't happen. I don't know how that works on the inside these days. If the Fed carries on raising rates, isn't something going to break in the markets? I mean, we've already it's seen. Already breaking. 
Yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean. We're, we're seeing this already, aren't we? If they carry on raising rates, aren't we going to head for like some Minsky moment in the markets where everything just topples over the waterfall? I think that once you see the debt ceiling debate begin in earnest in May, June of this year, ahead of the presidential elections, I think once you see the housing starts falter even more, the wages rise even more, not because of, in my mind, I would respectfully differ with John, not because of strong labor markets, just because many people don't want the job. They just don't want to work. So it's a supply side issue, which is riddled, which is riddling the inflation equation considerably. So I myself think that the inflation problem is very much 60 is 40 percent a supply side issue. Oil, gas, war, weather, things like this, people not wanting to work. And you can't do the, the the Fed policy can't affect that. Having said that, the Fed, as John says, I agree, must stay the course because it's really lost all credibility anyway. John, is something going to break? I mean, NCO has been saying for a while, haven't you, that you think rates are going to get to 6%. If they got to 6%, yeah. can the markets cope? Yeah. Can the bond markets cope with rates at 6%? Um Short answer, yeah. Well, of course, no one knows, but I, I think I think so. Um, as I say, we've seen several bubbles already break: um, the crypto bubble, um, the commodity prices. Um, commodity prices are, are falling quite quickly now. Mm. Um, I think oil is going, oil and gas are going to keep on falling. Mm. Um, so the, there's some dis, disinflation coming from from that that source. Um, but I mean, uh, the, the the bond market, the Treasury market, long end of the bond market, is still predicting a recession with uh, you know yields of only three point five percent. Is is, um, is recessionary. So, um, but the other thing I, I wanted to point out is that the volatility in the stock market is quite interesting. Um, has actually stayed within quite narrow um, mm -hmm. a narrow range. We haven't seen that the sort of big. The VIX spike up, and I think it spiked up to 25, 25%. Um, yeah, which is not that high, really, is it? Which it? is not, not high. It's within the range. I mean, mm. Once you get above 30 is the kind of ceiling. And it ticked out. Tick, uh, this week, it's ticked back down again. Uh, I just wanted up. to add one other inflationary motor, which, I, which it took me a couple of years to figure this one out. It's called catch-up inflation. In other words, with these companies having done so poorly for three years because they've been whacked by COVID, it's time to try and jack up the prices as quickly and as much as they can. On top of which, of course, airlines have to circumvent the war zones. So that drives up their fuel costs. And so those are other things that the Fed simply cannot do anything about. But are equities next, do you think? We, we, John was mentioning the VIX. It's at a reasonable yes. wage. But look at bond market volatility. It's at um, record levels. We're, we're seeing moves of 20 basis points a day in the two-year yield. We've seen it, I think, every day now for the last nine days. Is our equities next? The earnings outlook is going to look, look, is going to look chunkier and chunkier. The, uh, a harbinger of this is really the slowdown in housing investment. You're seeing more and more headlines of firings coming through at Make at Amazon, at groups like that. These are big employers. Mm. And I just think that the structural recession, I've, I've forecast sort of a stagflation of, of sorts um, a couple of years ago already. In other words, re relatively 4% inflation and very little, if any, growth. And I still stick with that forecast because I think that just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. I believe that the, the structural forces are making it 
it's a, it's a slow slow burn recession that we're going to go into. John, do you think we're heading for a recession? Well, uh, so far it's been sector by sector. Um, yes. And Good. we're starting to see some sectors or re- recover already. Um, so we had a massive, you know, the um, the, the tech Useful. sectors, the semiconductor uh, <coughs> index in particular is out, outperforming massively now, having had a, a very large correction uh, last uh, last year. Um, so we, the... Um, the amount of rotation, sector rotation in the markets, you see now that everyone was chasing value because they were chasing yield um, last year, and that's now been flipped flipped over, and we're seeing some of these value sectors, uh, obviously banking, but also energy, mm-hmm. in particular, with a um, you know underperforming and selling off, while the um, the technology, uh, you know, from a long term point of view, people can see that. You know, the future is in these new technologies, whether it's electric vehicles, advanced semiconductors, AI, biotech, etc. So those that sort of area is now starting to get attention again. Well, thank you both very much for your thoughts this morning. Very interesting discussion there. You heard John Schofield, who is Managing Director at Tempest Investments, Wealth Management Strategist, NCL Von Fahl was also with us. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Time now to go over to Tokyo and we talk with Nick Smith, who is Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. Morning, Nick. Good morning to you. Congratulations on the new format. Thank you very much. Very nice to talk to you once again. Well, it's been a, a dramatic week to start um, this new podcast with everything going on in the, the banking sector. In, in the Asian markets, it seems to be Japan that's been hit the hardest in terms of its banking stocks. Why is that? Well, I think the um, if you watch the way that banking stocks perform, they're uh, highly correlated with and very uh, sensitive to movements in the, the Japanese 10-year rate. So really what's going on is nothing to do with fears about whether Japanese banking stocks are, uh, are going to fall apart, but much more questions about whether um, the incoming governor, Ueda, is going to um, allow rates to rise soon or later. Uh, and I think the, the feeling among people just immediately when SVB and uh, UBS hit was um, that will give him an excuse to um, to hold off. I don't believe that he needs an excuse. To, um, I, I believe that uh, Reda is, is minded to get rid of yield curve control before the end of June. Right. And of course, the issue has been for banks that they can't get any yield on Japanese bonds. So they've been buying US treasuries instead, which are the very things uh, that have been declining very fast in in value as the Fed um, raises rates. But I presume Japanese banks, they're large, they're well capitalized. This is not going to cause the same problem for them as we've seen in some of the smaller um, US banks. No, I don't think that uh, that's a particular issue. I mean, actually, if you look at what's been going on with the holdings of uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries, they've, they've, they've been selling foreign bonds all the way through uh, through last year. And there's a very good reason for that is that the, the hedging costs are so high. So mm. um, actually, after hedging costs, three month hedging costs, you get a minus 1.8 percent yield on U.S. treasuries at the moment. So uh, fortunately, that uh, pushed them out of U.S. treasuries quite a while back. So if you think that um, the new governor of the Bank of Japan is going to get rid of yield curve control, um, you think maybe that the Fed is close to getting to a peak in, in rates as well. Um, what should you do in, in Japan? What should you be buying? Well, uh, I think if you look at all of the um, 
the sector's uh, correlation with and sensitivity to um, to changes in rates, then um, then it's the banks that uh, broadly for, for some of the megas, um, a one basis point move in ten uh, year rates is one percent on on the share price mm. with a uh, with a very high correlation. So if you think that uh, J- Japan's going to take out the yield curve control uh, and let uh, rates drift upwards, then um, then you buy the banks if you um, if you think the reverse, then you do the reverse. Um, my my belief is that uh, what the the BOJ is doing is is unsustainable. Um, although I I do understand people at the moment are very nervous about it, and uh, uh, there was a time when people were actually talking about uh, the uh, the Fed actually cutting rates um, today rather than uh, than raising them. Uh, I, I think that they'll be disappointed if they're counting on that. Mm. And and is there a problem in Japan with these AT1 bonds that we've seen with uh, Credit Suisse where those bondholders got wiped out? We know that there are quite a lot of wealthy investors around Asia who invest in these because of the high yields on them that you can get, maybe 9-10%. But that's what what's happened to Credit Suisse seems to have changed the whole outlook and rationale for that market now. Uh, that's true. My understanding is that the uh, the exposure is small. I'm not a, uh, a bank's analyst, but my understanding is the uh, uh, the exposure is uh, is very small. And so, so is the is the crisis coming to an end now? Have have regulators around the world done enough? We heard uh, Janet Yellen last night um, talking about maybe guaranteeing more bank deposits if uh, if necessary, giving the impression that the US was going to step behind all of its banks, although it raises the question of how it can afford um, to do that. But do you think um, we're near the end of the crisis now or are there other things brewing? <clears throat> Obviously, the uh, the CDS rates uh, suggest that there are, are still considerable concerns over uh, uh, banks around the world. Um, my belief is that the um, what the US is going to do is uh, is guarantee as, as much as it can uh, try and uh, bring down concerns about this, uh, freeing up the hand of the uh, the Fed to do the right thing and try and rein in inflation before it it loses this battle. So do remember that um, that the Fed was uh, was late on uh, on raising rates, which is why we've got um, the uh, the high inflation so entrenched. Um, otherwise, we're going to end up with a situation where uh, inflation globally is stronger for longer. My belief is that uh, the the rise in uh, wages in Japan is way, way above what um, where, where the expectations had been. Um, and I, I think that uh, we may well end up with a, uh, a stronger for longer for um, for inflation in Japan also. And, and tell me a little bit about those those annual um, wage discussions that, that that go on in Japan. For, for for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it, these these are the Shunto wage negotiations, aren't they? Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, spring is the uh, the beginning of the uh, the new fiscal year. This is the only time that you need to to be watching uh, wages in Japan. Otherwise, it's uh, uh, it, it's bonus season, but uh, that's relatively small. I think the expectations have been pretty low at the beginning of the year. Um, the the expectations were only uh, say two and a half percent for uh, for wage negotiations. Um, as of uh, Friday, they're about three percent. And then on Friday, the uh, Japan Trade Union uh, Confederation came out with numbers saying the first update on this uh, with, I can't remember, 650 uh, unions reporting uh, was a 3.8% increase in uh, in wages. So way, way above. Just remember that uh, 
Kuroda, the, uh, the outgoing uh, governor of the Bank of Japan, had said we would need 3% in order to, uh, to start uh, considering mission accomplished. Well, we're way above that. Uh, it might come down a little as the, the later union numbers come through. But uh, I, I think that um, it's going to be harder to justify um, the, the Bank of Japan's present forecast of 1.6% inflation, which is a lot less than half of where inflation is at the moment, however much the government tries to manipulate it with, uh, with uh, subsidies. Nick, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. That's Nick Smith, who is Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. Thank you very much for listening this morning. There's plenty more business and finance information on my daily blog. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Tomorrow will be Fed Day. Joining me to discuss the latest moves by the US Federal Reserve will be Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Vandana Hari, founder of Vanda Insights. With a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. See you tomorrow. Bye for now. Money Talk.